Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I am your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF. And joining me, as always, to talk fantasy football and drop elite knowledge for y'all, PFF's lead fantasy analyst, the great Nathan Yonke. Nate, we're back at it again three days in a row. It must be fantasy season. Uh, Yeah, it must be fantasy season. Everybody asking me questions now, getting plenty of friends and family members asking me who they should be picking and I'm letting them know that they should go to PFF and get that information because <laughs> that's where we have all of it ready for them. So I love it. Yeah, this is a definitely a big question period of the year. And yeah, we sign up for PFF.com. No family, friends or discounts. You just uh, sign up and we, <laughs> we'll try to help you out as best we can. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. This is yeah, it's an exciting time of the year. I'm glad to be talking fantasy football for a third straight day. We'll do it again tomorrow. But um, yeah, this episode should be fun as well. And and we only have really, I guess, the one piece of news um, heading into today. Kind of a bummer, obviously, Tampa Bay. Buccaneers wide receiver Russell Gage went down with a non-contact knee injury uh, apparently done for the year Nate as far as fantasy implications for this one since uh, Gage was a likely starter for Tampa Bay in three wide receiver sets who, who would you think takes on that role now uh, yeah, disappointing for Gage since he was in line to be the third wide receiver and didn't have to compete with Julio Jones anymore for snaps so it was looking to be a better year for Gage but now, that looks a lot less likely. Um, Devin Tompkins, I think, is the one who is in line to be the player in three wide receiver sets, at least in the short term. Um, he was uh, next on the depth chart. I have a depth chart article that went up today. So that was where I initially looked to see who was going to be taking his place. And in that, um, you could see that Tompkins was the starter in the last preseason game with Gage. Uh, he stopped playing by halftime where every other wide receiver on the depth chart kept playing into the second half that was behind those guys. So I think Tompkins is lined to do that. He had 79 offensive snaps last year, all coming late in the season. A lot of them coming in week 18. They gave him the start in that game. That didn't really mean much for Tampa Bay. So um, it was good to see him get some opportunities there. Um, we'll note they did at. Uh, Trey Palmer in the sixth round of the draft, he did see a decent amount of playing time in this preseason game as well. So Palmer could also work his way up the depth chart. Also wouldn't be entirely surprising if they look to add a free agent somewhere, um, especially once teams have to cut down to 53 players, could definitely see them looking to pick someone up. And like I haven't heard anything about Julio Jones at this point. I don't think I've heard him say that he's retired, but I also haven't heard him linked to any team at this point. So wouldn't rule it completely out for him coming back to Tampa Bay with their need for a third wide receiver. Interesting. Yeah, there you go. So Devin Tompkins potentially uh, in those three wide receiver sets right now, someone that could be had super cheap uh, in, in those deeper leagues for those who have already drafted or for dynasty leagues where you have your, your waivers going already. Um, Devin Tompkins definitely worth a look costs nothing and could potentially pay out here if he, if he holds on to that starting job to start the season. So 
I like it. Um, we got another fun topic today. I- I'm pretty excited about this one. And, and, you know, in yesterday's episode, we focused on running backs specifically, um, looking at draft strategy for the position. But uh, today we get to look at uh, wide receivers and and their position and, and talk about potential league winners among the wide receivers. So we each have our, our favorites and, and we'll have a chance to kind of cover them all in detail. So I think that should be a lot of fun. Um, but before we do that, I do want to give a quick shout out to our presenter sponsor fabric by gerber life as a parent your child's well-being is your top priority you want to see them chase their dreams embrace embrace life's adventures and thrive in this world but you also know life can be unpredictable and that's why it's important to plan for the unexpected so they can continue to thrive no matter what fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com fantasy. That's meetfabric.com fantasy. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash fantasy policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, let's get into it. As I mentioned at the top, we're discussing league winning wide receivers. Uh, We've each listed three that we really leak and, and tried to avoid the obvious picks like a Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and anyone already kind of going in that first round of most fantasy drafts. Um, and, and when we're talking wide receivers, I, I do think it's important to note um, what scoring settings were you were, were, were basing our information on. So that's PPR leagues. Um, full, point, full point per reception is going to be the focus. And these kinds of things definitely matter, especially in relation to other positions like like running back, right? So if we're looking back at the top fantasy scores across running back, wide receiver, tight end over these past 10 years, we see pretty dramatic shifts in those top scores depending on the scoring format. So for example, the top three scores across PPR, half PPR and non-PPR have been dominated by running back. But as soon as we get outside of that top three, as early as the top five for PPR, that gap closes pretty significantly from a 73% to 27% advantage for running backs to a near even split at 56 to 44% um, once you get inside that top five. And then as soon as we get out of that top five range, wide receivers take over and eventually dominate the rest of the way uh, for PPR, that is. So while the range of outcomes for overall production is, is much safer for the wide receiver position, we're mostly focusing on the guys who we think can stand out among the rest of a big crowd of potential options at the position. Um, and if you you do want to see the full breakdown of those top finishers by position and by scoring, you could find the tables in my running back, running back, running back draft strategy article and in the upcoming wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver draft strategy article coming out on Friday this week. Anyways, that was a long and hopefully informative caveat to set the table here so that we can start talking about our league winning wide receivers. Nate, why don't you kick us off here with your first pick for league winning wide receiver out of the great Motor City? 
Sure. So Amon Ross St. Brown is someone who's done an excellent job these past two seasons. It was really late in his rookie season that he started breaking out. He's just been a king at getting reception after reception after reception. And I think he'll continue doing that. Uh, scored the second most fantasy points over the end of 2021 at 25.2 fantasy points per game. So that's what he's really capable of and just needs to do it over a longer stretch of time. Um, he's also among the highest graded wide receivers that we've seen. A 90.4 receiving grade, placed third among wide receivers last season. So he's played very well, caught a lot of passes. But why I think he's capable of potentially taking a bigger jump this year is I think we could see even more targets for him this season with the depth that they have at wide receiver and tight end. Um, TJ Hawkinson was still among their leaders in receptions last year, even though he was traded in the middle of the season. And yeah, we're both high on Sam Laporta this season on what he can do with Detroit. But I don't think he's going to be at Hawkinson's level to start his rookie season. Then looking at wide receivers, they lost DJ Chark and replaced him with Marvin Jones, who's one of the oldest wide receivers in the NFL right now. Uh, Jamison Williams is suspended the first six games of the season. And what we've seen out of him in training camp so far hasn't been all that impressive. Um, they still have Josh Reynolds at wide receiver, still have Cleve Raymond uh, taking a chance on Denzel Mims. But it remains a wide receiver group that doesn't have a ton of depth compared to a lot of other teams. So um, St. Brown has been among the leaders in receptions per route run, and I could very well see him leading that this year. So that's a lot of why I think he can uh, take that big leap. And I think Detroit uh, should be in a lot of competitive games, a lot of games where they should have to keep passing the ball. Um, they have a decent defense, but I think they still will be in some shootouts here and there. And for that, they'll need to be passing the ball a lot and getting St. Brown the ball a lot. Plus, I think his consistency is fairly good of because he catches so many passes, even though some of them are for shorter gains. Um, that consistency helps you put him in your fantasy lineup each week and not have to worry about it whatsoever. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. I, I love St. Brown um, for this season. He, he was definitely going to be someone that I, I put in my Dark Horse Wide Receiver 1 article. It was between him uh, and the guy I eventually went with at the top since you had already covered him in, in great detail. And your league winner article just made my decision easier. But yeah, I, I, I love him. Even with like fewer routes run last season, you know, the rate of targets that were funneled in his direction are, are kind of what we really want after all, right? So um, you, you can definitely emerge as a top five fantasy wide receiver, um, even as the wide receiver one in an offense that is below average in pass rate. Uh, uh, and before last year with Justin Jefferson, we, we saw this with pretty much every PPR wide receiver one in, in the past four years. They all came from um, either right on average or below average pass rate offenses with, with Cooper Cup's Rams in 2021, Devontae Adams Packers in 2020, Michael Thomas's Saints in 2019, and DeAndre Hopkins Texans in 2018. They all ranked no higher than 15th in overall pass rate. Um, but when the team did pass, these were the guys that were far and away the focal points of the passing game in their respected offenses, which matters more than anything else. And, and the sun God certainly qualifies there with his 28.8% target rate, right? Um, even in the red zone, he, he saw a 26.3% target rate and finished uh, second among wide receivers in, in receiving grade against man coverage. He just checks all the necessary boxes for that potential 
wide receiver one overall finish or at the very least a potential top five finish. And, you know, like you said, we'll see what happens when Jamison Williams returns from suspension and how much Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta get involved in, in the passing game in year one. But I don't think that's a major hindrance for St. Brown in 2023, at least. He he should continue to be elite and and really a great second round fantasy pick, in my opinion. Yeah, I think one of the bigger criticism criticisms of him is he's had a limited route tree when you look at the routes that he has run it's been less unique than other wide receivers but that has been something that he's reportedly been working on this offseason is to expand his route tree and that could lead to more big plays out of him which is also necessary to have a great fantasy football season is rather than just accumulating catch after catch after catch if he can break some big catches for some big gains and for touchdowns that'll be huge for his fantasy production so all of the guys we're talking about today we're saying have a chance to be the number one wide receiver I think that's probably the biggest hurdle that St. Brown has to overcome in order to reach that. But if he's able to get those big plays for touchdowns and some deeper routes compared to what he's run before, um, that'll be what gets him there. But that could also be if he struggles with those kind of things and they're trying to use them in different ways might be why he ends up not doing as well as we think he would. Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes sense. Um, all right. Let's go on to the other guy that I was thinking about with along with Amon Ross St. Brown. And I put at the top of my dark horse wide receiver one article this week. Uh, and that is Garrett Wilson of the New York Jets. Um, so he was just he was the other top choice for me. Uh, and obviously, when you're predicting any player to finish as the overall number one player at their position. It's going to be a long shot, but what I wanted to do um, for this article specifically, and I still think it fits this league winning wide receiver criteria that we're looking at, um, which is why I put these guys in here is kind of, what I wanted to do is kind of reverse engineer what made up like years past wide receiver one finishers and see which players fit the most criteria to potentially get there this year. And, and obviously not just copy and pasting last year's numbers, but putting some projection in there as well. And, and for all the guys I, I listed um, obviously they'd be projected to have uh, an even better year than last year, obviously. So, I tried to find basically as many of the common denominators as possible from past year's wide receivers, wide receiver ones. And there was definitely a good many that stood out. Um, obviously points per game was key. These guys need to be able to average over 21 PPR points per game through a full season and stay healthy. But what leads to that high end points per game totals is where we can really kind of dig into the great PFF data that we have to identify some of those underlying factors, right? So this included um, an overall target rate of at least 25%. Um, They had at least 2.5 yards per route run. Uh, They needed a quarterback capable of getting them the ball consistently and accurately, which every time meant being... Um, their starting quarterback ranked inside the top 10 in PFF passing grade. Uh, the offense was, was that they were on also needed to be in the top 10 in overall scoring. Um, and the receiver himself had to be among the best in the league against man coverage. Uh, interestingly, four of the past five wide receiver ones have finished inside the top two in receiving grade versus man coverage with only Justin Jefferson finishing outside that range last season. Um, he actually finished seventh. So still in the top 10 there. And interestingly, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown finished second, uh, last year. So he's right there. Um, 
but yeah, with all that in mind, that that was the criteria that I wanted to consider when picking these like dark horse wide receiver one candidates, along with being drafted outside of the top five players at their positional ADP, since only Cooper Cup in 2021 was already being drafted as a top uh, was already wasn't already being drafted as a top five wide receiver that year that he finished wide wide receiver one. So. With all that said, Garrett Wilson and Amon St. Brown definitely stood out first for me. Uh, Wilson earned a 23.4% target rate last season as a rookie. He also posted 1.85 yards per route one, which was 26th. Doesn't really reach that 2.50 threshold that I was looking for, but you factor in the um, the amount of uncatchable passes that he saw as a rookie, ranking 48th out of 53 qualifying receivers and catchable target rate. We can easily see a significant improvement there this year. A big reason for that improvement in production and efficiency will be Aaron Rodgers, who as a four-time MVP definitely has that top 10 PFF passing grade ability to fit other key criteria while also vaulting this Jets offense into one of the best in the league, especially as they get like a Brees Hall healthy, who significantly boosted their offense last year uh, in the short span that he was starting, not to mention the addition of Dalvin Cook, Alan Lazard. There should be much more scoring opportunities this year as well. So, um, Garrett Wilson checks a ton of boxes for me. He has that high-end target rate. He finished inside the top 10 wide receivers in receiving grade versus man coverage. He has the potential top 10 passing quarterback and, and overall offense this season. Then you factor in just overall development from year one to two. To me, the sky is the limit for, for Garrett Wilson this season. Yeah, and it's worth noting with his last year numbers, the Jets were changing how they were using him throughout the season. Early in the season, they were trying to have him almost exclusively in the slot. Then they started moving him outside, moving Elijah Moore into the slot and also had Braxton Berrios who could play in the slot. So they were changing up what they were doing with a rookie wide receiver in the middle of his season. So um, that also probably impacted his numbers a decent amount. Plus he wasn't playing as much early in the year. The Jets kind of like, starting their rookies slow and then um, getting them more playing time as the season progresses. So that probably all impacts Wilson's rookie numbers. Uh, he did grade pretty well, both outside and in the slot by the end of the year. So proved that he could do everything. And um, when you're looking for someone who can make the jump to wide receiver one, you're looking for something that's going to be different about this year than other years. And with him, it's very obvious he has Aaron Rodgers now. And I think this can make a huge difference for him. Rodgers was still... Um, the most accurate passer when it come, came to intermediate and deep passes in terms of perfectly thrown passes or passes that were leading the receiver. Um, he was the best at that. Wilson, I believe, was the worst at that last year. So um, that's going to be a dramatic difference for him in terms of his ability to make big plays. And that's a big thing that helps with fantasy points is if you can make a 30-yard catch and if you can run after that and score a touchdown, then that's a huge week for you on one play alone. So I think that's going to be a huge difference for Wilson. Just the downside is we don't know exactly how these passes are going to get distributed. We don't know if, um, exactly how his playing time will end up being used since they do have four other wide receivers that they are happy with, or at least the quarterback is happy with and familiar with. So we think Wilson definitely has the talent to get there. And ideally he is able to, do what Devontae Adams was able to do in those Packers offenses in the past. But there's also a chance that he's going to throw to players that he trusts. And 
Um, they have the running backs that they like now as well and have a number of tight ends. So they just have a lot of options to throw to Wilson should be better than all of those players. We just don't know how Aaron Rodgers is going to trust Wilson compared to everyone else. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's, it's also a lot of fun to kind of watch these guys on hard knocks. I don't know if you watched the, the first episode or not, or I think there's two up now, but I watched, was watching the first one last night. Um, and yeah, man, it's just, it's it, it, the difference that even you see the players reactions to watching Aaron Rodgers pass the ball versus what they were getting last year is pretty funny. You could tell it's a, it's going to be a massive difference for that, that team this year. So pretty excited about Garrett Wilson, but you're right. We'll see how uh, the, the, what the deployment is and how much the, some of these other guys get in involved as well so um let's go on to another one of your picks here you have keenan allen of the los angeles chargers what do you like about uh, keenan allen yeah allen feels like he's similar to someone like tyler lockett where every year he's doesn't get drafted as high as he should just because we know more or less what he is and what he can do and so we just know that he's going to produce and last season when he was healthy he was a top three fantasy wide receiver over the second half of last season once he was at a point where he was healthy and that's when the Chargers offense wasn't performing as well as we'd like um, he's similar to St. Brown in that he just catches a ton of passes uh, largely from the slot and is able to make a lot of plays after he catches the ball um, part of his success has just been uh, volume and that he ran 38 routes last season, but he was also among the best in terms of receptions per route run, which is pretty hard to do on a really high sample size. So the fact that he was able to reach wide receiver three when the offense wasn't performing as well and he was just coming off of injury are pretty impressive. I do think the change in coaching staff should be a benefit to him. Uh, they added Kellen Moore as their offensive coordinator and Dallas had been thrown to the slot even more than Los Angeles had been. So this could lead to an even higher uptick in targets for him. It also uh, more big plays from the slot receivers in terms of average depth of target, those kind of things. So we could see Allen doing even more. I also think it will help that the offensive line should be better this year, having a healthy Rashawn Slater, uh, Jameer uh, Sawyer moving to guard. So that should also help the offense. So um, Herbert had a down year. He should be better this year. That all helps Allen. I know the one downside is they added Quinton Johnston, uh, but he's going to be an outside wide receiver, fairly different skill set. So Johnston should still see a decent number of targets, but I still think Allen's going to see more than his fair share of targets in order to get the ball down the field and make big plays similar to what I was saying with St. Brown of just if he can make more catches, but do more with the catches he's making. That's all he really needs to move. He was wide receiver three. He only needs to move up two spots as long as he can stay healthy. Yeah. It's a Keenan's a great call because again, like you said, just consistently underrated to at the wide receiver position now going in the fourth round, it's like wide receiver 19 overall. Um, he, he's another guy I definitely had in consideration for that wide receiver one dark horse article as well. And I, I don't know. I mean, I get there's, there's maybe some concern about injury or, or competition for targets this year with, with Quinton Johnson. But to me, like you said, he's just another guy that checks all the boxes. Really. He's, he's great against man coverage. He's that high end target earner um, before last year, when he missed seven games, he was a top 12 PPR fantasy wide receiver for five years straight. Um, he was averaging close to 17 PPR points per game last season on the year too. Right. So like you said, finishing in that wide receiver three range, 
once he was healthy and Justin Herbert in that offense absolutely are capable of being among the best in the league. He was he was a favorite target of Herbert's in the red zone as well with a 30.2% target rate in that area of the field. I mean, yeah, Keenan Allen is a great value. I I definitely love him as a call as a potential league winner. Like if you can start your draft by going any variation of of running back, wide receiver, wide receiver in the first three rounds, and then come back and get Keenan Allen as your wide receiver three in the fourth round. I mean, that that's that's the stuff that dreams are made of. So yeah, I, I love that call for sure. Yeah, I would note with Allen, um, his grade has already declined a little bit. He was at his peak more like five years ago. It already declined a little bit three or four years ago, but it's been pretty steady these last couple of seasons. So I'm not as worried about a big decline from him, even though he's on the older age for wide receivers, but he has been pretty consistent. And like we were talking about with draft strategy before and like what you were just saying, like this is part of why I'm more okay getting a quarterback early and getting a tight end early and potentially a running back early because there's wide receivers like this that I can get a couple rounds later that I think have this much upside side so um, I'm more okay making sure I have elite players at some other positions because there's plenty of wide receivers like Allen right now and the three guys that we still have to talk about that some of them you can get a little bit later yeah that's a great call Um, All right. Yeah. Before we cover those other three wide receivers for today, I do want to shout out one more of our sponsors, and that is the good folks over at DraftKings. This season, DraftKings has launched the largest best ball tournament in DraftKings history. Right now, you can enter into DraftKings best ball tournament for a shot at over $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes. Make your entry into the draft today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the NFL season without having to worry about managing your roster, waiver wires, and more. To start playing best ball, download the DraftKings app using code PFF, enter DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest, and snake draft your team for the season. Each weekly, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scores, no ads, drops, trades, or I should have played him instead. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF and start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament only on DraftKings with code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, let's keep it rolling with a, another one of my my dark horse wide receiver one picks. Again, there, there are certainly much more likely outcomes that that still you know have guys like this outperforming their their ADP this year so don't get too caught up in the boldness of the wide receiver one thing instead focusing on the criteria needed to get there and which guys you know might meet those thresholds and for me Jalen Waddle of the Miami Dolphins is another one that stood out to me obviously the main barrier for Waddle is going to be that 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 target competition with Tyreek Hill who led the NFL in target rate last season at 31.3 percent that was the second highest mark for a wide receiver with at least 200 routes run since 2016 um, behind only 2020 Devontae Adams so there's no denying that Hill is an elite target earner but repeating that high rate is not really going to be an easy task and I think any regression in that way could funnel over to Waddle, who was already nearing a high 2020 or nearing a high 22% target rate last season as the very clear um, second option on the team. 
He also posted a near 24% target rate as a rookie, though Hill wasn't on the team then. But it's definitely within the realm of possibilities, at least for me, um, that Waddle closes the gap on Hill this season with the potential to maybe surpass him if Hill were to decline in any way in his eighth NFL season. Waddle established himself already as an elite wide receiver last year. He posted top five marks in yards per route run at 2.59. He had top five in yards after the catch per reception at 6.9. This led to top 10 marks in yards, touchdowns, uh, and despite finishing outside that range in targets uh, and, and receptions as well. So for me, with Waddle being in the prime of his career as such an elite talent, I don't think it would be shocking to see him earn like a larger slice of the target share this season. The Dolphins were also a top 10 team in offensive scoring with Tua Tungavailoa in the lineup last season. And then Tua himself earned a top five passing grade, 81.4 in 2022. So Waddle, the, only, the one of the only other things was that he posted, you know, a decent 79.2 receiving grade versus man coverage as a rookie, but he dropped to a 70.5 last year. So the history, I guess, of, of high end ability against man coverage hasn't quite shown up just yet, though. I think he's certainly capable of getting there, but he'll he'll definitely need to improve in that area to help him kind of out target Tyree kill this season and, and, and make this wide receiver one potential come to fruition. Yeah, I think the Dolphins offense is very interesting seeing how they performed last year and how much both of the receivers, Sam and Hill, how well they performed on a per route basis and a number of metrics and how those were even better when they had Tua at quarterback. So ideally Tua can stay healthy the entire season. I think the one drawback to these Miami receivers is they do like to rotate their wide receivers a little bit more than other teams with elite wide receivers do. And this hinders them more in um, early downs where most of the time it'll be run plays that they're off the field, but they still have to mix things up. And even though you think it's going to be a run play because they're off the field, they still pass the ball sometimes in those situations. So that costs them some routes. It does help them stay fresh in the game, which is partially why they're able to stay so efficient. But part of that is they're off the field for some pass plays, which also hurts their chances of getting as much production as some of these other elite receivers. So I think that's one small drawback, but I think I agree with you in that if Waddle can get closer to Hill or potentially even overtake Hill with where Waddle is in his career, where Hill is in his career, it wouldn't be all that surprising if Waddle can take over as the number one wide receiver. He'll do it at some point of time, but it could be this season that it happens. And if it does, then right now we're thinking Hill has that top three or four production this season, but it could be Waddle who's seeing that production. So definitely agree with you that I think he has a chance to get there, but I do think it'll be hard partially because of how Miami uses the wide receiver and if Hill keeps doing what he's doing, then it's going to be hard for Hill to lose the targets that he's been seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not an easy path for sure. That that's uh, that that's definitely one that I'm very interested in. There's a, there's a lot of kind of projection in it, but um, I do I like a lot of the underlying numbers and and boxes that are checked from Jalen Waddle if he can, but that that he could potentially do it. So. Uh, Let's move on to another guy um, that you have listed here, and that is Debo Samuel of the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, he's someone that just keeps playing well whenever he's healthy. Uh, Was wide receiver three in 2021, averaging 21 PPR points per game. Uh, He was off to a slower start uh, last year. He was uh, wide receiver 11 over the first, I believe, seven weeks of the season. And then he started suffering injuries, and he was playing through injuries at times. 
And that's something that you really need to take into account when you're looking at some numbers of past seasons of if a player is playing hurt, then he's not going to be playing as good. And we shouldn't be treating that worse than someone who missed games and stayed out of games and then played well only in the games that they played in when they were playing healthy. So you need to compare healthy games to non-healthy games. So the fact that he was wide receiver 11, even though he's already admitted this offseason that he wasn't as prepared for the season as he should have been and has taken things more seriously this season. So um, I expect great things from him again. I think outside of those injury concerns, the biggest thing is Christian McCaffrey still being on the team. Um, we did see a little bit late in the season that they were still willing to run Samuel, even though McCaffrey was there. They still threw it to him plenty. So the fact that he's able to run the ball at, in a way that no other wide receiver does currently, we could start seeing it a little bit more. I think teams are going to start trying to replicate what San Francisco's done with Samuel Moore. But his rushing production gives him an edge that no other wide receiver has. Um, back in 2021, we saw the first half of the season, he was doing almost everything as a receiver, was a top five fantasy receiver. Second half of this season was doing a lot of it on the ground and was still a top three fantasy wide receiver in those situations. So I think he can do it regardless of how San Francisco's getting him the ball. It just, he has that talent to make out his miss once he has the ball in his hands and they just need to get him the ball. So um, that's what they're doing. So San Francisco has a lot of talent on offense. I know it's hard to have Christian McCaffrey be a top running back and George Kittle be a top five wide receiver and Debo Samuel also potentially be number one. So someone has to have a bad season in order for Samuel to have that good of a season. But I think especially where he's getting drafted, Samuel is a pretty good value of someone who should be doing a lot. And with his low average depth of target and rushing ability, he has a pretty high floor. And like you mentioned at the start of the show, we're talking mostly PPR, but Samuel because of that rushing production is even more valuable in standard leagues. Yeah, good call. I, and yeah, you mentioned it, right? Like with him being so good with the ball in his hands and the 49ers manufacturing a bunch of touches for him, that definitely makes him unique among like pretty much all the wide receivers we're talking about today, but pretty much all the wide receivers in the NFL too. And you, we'll probably see some copycat stuff um, come out of that. We're th you know, thinking about Elijah Moore in Cleveland specifically already. But um, yeah, you, like you said, he was hurt last year. He, he did take a, a step back a, after the huge 2021 that he had, but I think it's fair to recognize that he was hurt not playing 100% um, but it also helped his ADP for this season come back closer to a more reasonable price tag um, than it was last year where he was in the second round and and which felt a little high just considering we didn't know how sustainable all those kind of manufactured touches would be and considering just how efficient he was with those touches as well so I'm okay with him kind of on the fringes of, of round three four here and if he is truly healthier than he's ever been even with Christian McKay Caffrey in the backfield that could lead to another huge year. So um, it, the other thing that I wanted to see is if they would go back to him, you know, getting more of those goal line touches like we saw in 2021 as well. I think that could obviously be a big help because he wasn't necessarily getting the end zone um, targets as a receiver, at least when when Brock Purdy was in the lineup last year and was pretty far behind Kittle, McCaffrey and Ayuk in that category as far as Purdy's tendencies go last season. So there's definitely, I think, an allure to having Samuel um, because like we saw in 2021, it, it could pay off in a huge way. So I, I like him listed here as a potential league winner. I, I worry maybe, you know, if, if he isn't 100 percent or we see some of those carries drop off, there's maybe a little bit more um, 
boom bust than than most of the guys we've talked about but like you said if they're going to manufacture touches with him low average depth of target and get him touches in the backfield that that helps him a ton every week so um he could actually end up being a very nice uh pick here yeah and that's a good point with brock purdy at quarterback since he's a bit of an unknown with samuel since yeah he played with samuel at the end of the season but i don't think samuel was healthy at any point near the end of the season so he was throwing the ball to kittle a ton so It'll be interesting to see what uh, he'll do with a healthy Samuel. And also, I will note, um, I do have a chart in my article where I go through my league winning wide receivers with Samuel more than doubling everyone else in receiving avoided tackles per game last year. Number two on that list, your guy Garrett Wilson. Nice. Love it. Awesome. <laughs> All right. That's good to know. And then, so this will be my last guy here. And this, this one definitely feels like my riskiest pick of the bunch. Um, and that is Jerry Judy of the Denver Broncos, typically going outside of the top 20 wide receiver range for, for fantasy ADP. So real dark horse pick here with a lot, um, dare I say everything relying on the Broncos offense and Russell Wilson bouncing back under Sean Payton in 2023. Um, though after watching that first preseason game, I feel slightly less confident about this one, but going to try not to overreact to that since it's just the preseason after all. And that is what the preseason is for to work out the kinks. Uh, and Judy still, again, checks a ton of boxes for me to significantly outperform his current ADP at the very least. So last year, we know the Broncos weren't good. They ranked 30th in offensive scoring, scoring 30th in EPA per play, 26th in average yards per play, and we were 22nd in pass completion. So it really wasn't good. But Judy was still one of the best target earners at his position. Um, he's a high-end separator, incredibly efficient with the ball in his hands. He ranked 12th in yards per route run and 6th in yards after the catch per reception. He did miss two games last season due to an ankle injury and finished as the wide receiver 22 overall in PPR. So uh, interestingly, when he got back in the lineup after missing time, which was weeks 13 to 18, he was among the best in the league at his position. He posted 38 receptions, which was eighth, 537 receiving yards, which was fifth, 2.73 yards per route run, which was also fifth and ranked as the PPR wide receiver six over that final stretch of the season. So you know, there's at least hope there that he can survive this offense, even if it doesn't bounce back to the way that we hope it does. Um, but and then you look at target competition on the team, Cortland Sutton, a very good secondary receiver for this offense. And, and there are other viable receiving options in Denver that Judy will have to contend with. But I think he separated himself in that final stretch of the season, dominating the target share. So I still really like Jerry Judy. I think he can be a potentially, um, again, one of those league winners um, for where he's being drafted. It's not an obvious path for him to become the over, overall wide receiver one or, or in that range, anything like that, because so much depends on this offense if they can significantly improve from last year. But should things work in his favor, there's at least a path to that range this season. Um, we're, we're betting on the player here to kind of rise above the offense, which he did a little bit last season, um, but also for that offense to get much better than they were last season. And, and after Peyton ripped last year's Broncos team, I, I'd say he... he better get them much improved this season, or I'm sure people will be going after him a lot harder than they were Nathaniel Hackett last year. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think um, he's someone that 
he has that upside and that he's improved every season, which is great to see a player do from his rookie season to this point, continue to improve. Hopefully he continues that progression. And I think with Sean Payton, what I've been looking for all off season is who's going to take that Michael Thomas role. Who's going to take that Marquez Colston role in Sean Payton's offense. And it does look like at this point, it will be Judy. Um, a big part of that is partially playing in the slot. And that's what Judy was doing throughout the preseason game. Uh, took 11 snaps out of the slot over the, First four drives, Cortland Sutton only saw one snap there. Marquez Callaway only saw one snap there. Um, it is worth noting that Marvin Mims did not play in that game, so we don't know if they're going to kick Judy outside up when Mims is on the field or exactly how they'll do that or how much playing time Mims will see in general. But right now it looks like Judy's going to be able to take that kind of role that we've seen Saints wide receivers do so well with, with Michael Thomas consistently being a top seven fantasy receiver. Uh, Marquez Callaway for a good six, seven years was consistently in the top 20 among fantasy wide receivers. So I think that's a very good sign for Judy. But like you were saying, a lot of this just hinges on how good the offense is going to do in general, how well Russell Wilson is going to play in general. That'll probably be the big thing stopping him. But I agree. I have Judy in my top 20 wide receivers right now. And I think if he is able to take a step forward, that'll be huge for him and at least potentially get him to that top 10 wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's he's an interesting one for me. I mean, he's a guy that I kind of went back and forth on this offseason. I, I started pretty high on him, then I kind of cooled a little bit, and now I'm kind of back in on him again. Um, so I'm locking it in as being high on, on Jerry Judy uh, for this year. So uh, excited to see what, what they can do. Hopefully that Broncos offense does get uh, a lot better than what they were last season. Yeah, you talked about the guys that I were low on last year. I was low on both Dolphins receivers. I was low on both Broncos receivers. was very wrong about two of them, was very right about the other two of them. <laughs> but this year I am higher on Judy, especially after Tim Patrick suffered his injury. Yeah, for sure. And look, we can't be 100% right about everything, yeah. but we certainly try. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> So there you have it. Um, I hope you all found that informative as far as some of the stuff that we're looking for in our league winning wide receivers this season. Um, Let us know who you have picked as potential league winners at the position or if you have any dark horse candidates for the overall wide receiver one. I know I'd love to hear them. Um, But with that portion of the pod wrapped up, we get to go head to head again with another five round random draft yesterday. Man, was another one that was insanely close, and I squeaked out one more win on the best blue characters, which I, I was convinced I was going to lose, but I, I mean, I'll take it. Nate, I, I now yeah. have a three-game winning streak going here. Tell us what you're going to do to get back on track today. Well, hopefully my jersey gives some indication of how I'm going to help get back on track. So um, we're doing the best football teams of the past 15 years, looking at individual seasons of teams. And it's I find it a very interesting topic in that, um, one, we go right past when the uh, 2007 Patriots were perfect outside of the Super Bowl. So we can't pick them as a team because they were just outside of 15 years ago at this point. Uh, we've had teams win 15 games and not win the Super Bowl. We've had teams win 14 games and not win the Super Bowl. So there are a number of teams that were good and not Super Bowl champions. Uh, we've seen plenty of Super Bowl champions who have also been good. But it's hard to pick. Like I'm not even sure who you're going to pick first overall, but hopefully you can figure out who I'm picking first overall with my Russell Wilson jersey, and that's the 2013 Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Super Bowl champions that year when they dominated the Broncos, a 13-win season. 
95.8 PFF team grade, which is, I believe, the best team grade for a Super Bowl champion of the past 15 years. Also, one that I was looking at this was looking at uh, Pro Football References, um, S simple rating system number, uh, 13.0 there, which is fairly good for a team. Um, it was like three years ago that the NFL was celebrating their 100th anniversary, uh, ranked the top 100 teams of all time. Uh, this Seahawks team ranked uh, 18th, and that's the best of, out of all the teams of the past 15 years. And looking at their PFF individual grades, they did not have a single defender with a grade below 65.0 among their guys that played 100 snaps. So even lowering that threshold, so you got a lot of backup defenders and a lot of the backup defenders were doing good. Like Bobby Wagner was one of the worst players on that defense. That's how good that defense was. Yeah, I it, you know, I was wondering why you were wearing the Seahawks jersey today, and it, it only took me about five minutes into the episode for it to finally click and be like, oh, crap, I, I'm screwed. So because, yeah, they were mm. my top pick as well. The Legion of Boom, obviously, you got Prime Russ and Pete Carroll in there. Um, I think it was a 13 and three like uh, and the Super yep. Bowl win. So, yeah, really nice pick for the for the first one. Um, man, I, I guess. I guess I'll go the year after for my pick and, and go with the 2014 New England Patriots. Uh, they were 12 and four, but again, just another stack team. They won the Super Bowl that year as well. Tom Brady, obviously, um, but guys like Julian Edelman, uh, Rob Gronkowski, Rob Ninkovich, Vince Wilfork, Chandler Jones, Jamie Collins, Gerard Mayo, Darrell Revis. Um, Shane Vereen at running back, but the, the defense especially was, was special to me, um, that it's just such a good team. And, uh, I guess I'll, I'll have to settle for Yeah. The 2014 Patriots. Cause I really did want the Seahawks. <laughs> there, they were definitely one of the top, I think six teams on my list. So I will, I think go a couple years earlier. Now I'm going to go with the 2009 New Orleans saints, Super Bowl champions that year, a 13 win team, um, 30th best team ever according to the top 100 teams um just drew Brees had an excellent year they have a great offensive line um they just had a secondary that year that all happened to play well that season even though none of them were considered all-time great guys but they just got four that were at the right point of their career so um it was just a consistently great team that season so it's rare to have a team where it's like this is the clear best team and they ended up winning the Super Bowl. And I feel like the saints fit that bill that year. Yeah. Good call. And that, that was the year that the, the hurricane uh, Katrina disaster was a big storyline too, right there. Cause they won, this was their first, you know, major championship for the city and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that was, that was obviously a, a great one. They were definitely on my list here. Um, but yeah, speaking of great regular season teams that also won the Super Bowl, I'm going to go with the 2011 Green Bay Packers. Um, they were 15 and one. They won the Super Bowl. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers, Jordy Nelson, um, Donald Driver, uh, Greg Jennings. They won in 2020, but their 15 and one season was 2015 or 2011, where they lost in the divisional round. They were not 15 and one of the year that Shit, they won the right. Super Bowl. Oh God. This is so you can take the 2011 Packers <laughs> or you can take the 2010 <laughs> Packers, but uh, didn't have 2010. The yeah. Uh, 2010. Yeah. Sorry. I guess the Super Bowl happened in 2011, right? Yep. Is that what yep. I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I screwed up my own notes here, but yes, thank you for pointing that out. Um, Yes. Give me the 2010, give me the 2010 Packers. That's who I'm going with here. Uh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, Jordy Nelson, and the gang uh, for my second overall pick. So I got to change that to 2010 because obviously 
when games are played, that doesn't count. There we go. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go with the team that I had second on my list, but I didn't think you were going to pick back-to-back Patriots, so I thought, okay, waiting another round to get them. That's the 2016 Patriots. Um, that was their 14-win season, a 95.0 PFF team grade, the 21st best team ever, and that is the highest-graded season that we have out of Tom Brady. So, obviously, plenty of great Patriots teams. Um, when I was making my list and considered like 40 teams, like a quarter of them were Patriots teams, but I think this one stands out with how good Brady was playing that year, and they were just so dominant in terms of how often they were winning. So. I had the 2016 Patriots slightly higher than the 2014 Patriots. So I'm hopefully that's going to work out with how voters remember those Patriots as well. <laughs> yeah. It's more recent. Right. And, and yeah, that, that was the, the 23 comeback as well. Right. Or, or no. Oh uh, yeah. That was the, no, it was yeah. 28 oh to three. God. Yeah. That's crazy that that was 2016. That feels um, not that mm. long ago, but okay. Um, yeah, good call. I will go. All right, now I got my third pick and I'm convinced that I have my years all wrong here. So you'll have to help me out. Um, I'll just go with one where I know I don't have the year wrong. And that is the 2022 Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to go um, as far as uh, recency bias goes, the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, uh, Chris Jones, Legereus Sneed, um, Andy Reid, obviously, as the coach. They were so good, they didn't even need Tyreek Hill to win a Super Bowl. So I am going with the Chiefs. There, I will take the team that the Chiefs played, but five years earlier, I'm going to go with the 2017 Eagles for my next pick, a 13-win season, uh, 94.3 PFF team grade, another one of the great teams. They had Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Chris Long, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, Jason Peters, Lane Johnson, all grading well throughout the season, all pretty close to the primes of their career. And then Nick Foles just had uh, excellent playoff runs, though, even though he hasn't really done much before or after. But during that was four games, he was an elite quarterback. So um, that 2017 Eagles team was pretty special and they showed it in the Super Bowl as well. Yeah, great call. That That was definitely a fun one um all right so that is what what do we got here for each or this will be my fourth one now all right so okay i am going to go with uh you know what because patrick mahomes has done so well for these polls (laughs) i'm gonna go with the 2020 kansas city chiefs as well this team basically the same but they had Tyreek Hill on the team as well they went 14 to 2 14 and 2 in the regular season and then still won the Super Bowl so um yes give me that one was it that recently that they won the Super Bowl in 2020 yeah 20 or was it the 2019 Chiefs and I, I think it was one of my years yeah I did screw- yeah. Uh, yeah I think so <laughs> I'm not good with years this is what we'll we're get learning it this. right when we get it in the poll so yeah I'll yeah, get it exactly. right then but you want the Super Bowl champions <laughs> Super Bowl champion Chiefs that, oh yeah the tw- that was 2019 when they beat 2019. the 49ers right and they played in 2020 again so I screwed up the dates yeah, yeah. all right <laughs> so I was fine giving myself one team that's not a Super Bowl champion I don't know how that will fare with voters but I think it's worth doing anyway I'm going to stick with that same year, 2019. I'm going to pick the Baltimore Ravens of that year. They won 14 games. Uh, Not many teams over these past 15 years have won 14 games. Uh, 15.6 in the Pro Football References Simple Rating System, which I believe is the best 
of the past 15 years. Um, that was Lamar Jackson's MVP season, uh, his best season in terms of PFF grade. Uh, had great players on the offensive line, had Marcus Peters, Earl Thomas in the secondary to go along with their usual defenders. So I think that was just a very, very dominant team that just didn't dominate once it got to the playoffs. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah, that was a good one. I, I actually was, yeah, I was considering that one as well. And you know what? Since you did it, I will also put a team that lost um, and did not win the Super Bowl that year. So, God, I hope I get the year right. This is so annoying that I didn't double check these. Um, the 2015 Carolina Panthers, the Cam Newton MVP season, uh, went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Denver Broncos. But man, the best team doesn't always win. They were 15 and one, I believe, in the regular season. Um, again, the defense that was just stacked with Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, Josh Norman, Jared Allen. Uh, and then they had Greg Olson at tight end as well. Jonathan Stewart was the running back there. So, yeah, I really like uh, the 2015 Carolina team. It's just unfortunate that they uh, they didn't finish it off. So there we go. We got uh, we got our five. You got the 2013 Seahawks. I got the and and sorry, 2013 Seahawks. 09 Saints. 16 Patriots. 17 Eagles. 19 Ravens. And then I got the 14 Patriots. 2010 Packers. Uh, 22 Chiefs. 2019 Chiefs and the 2015 Carolina Panthers. So I'll have to make sure that's all right when I send out the poll. But uh, yeah, that yeah. that all sounded right. I had the 2011 Packers as a consideration on my list. If things didn't go as well, I was going to get them late for my team that didn't win the Super Bowl since that was another 15 and one team, the only other 15 and one outside of Carolina. But yeah, that was a good one. The Ravens yeah. a little bit higher. I think that's why I screwed it up too, is because I was re- trying to remember the year and then I just didn't do the, the proper research to help my, my stupid brain. So that was, <laughs> that, uh, that didn't help, but yeah. Um, all right. That's going to do it for another episode of the PFF fantasy podcast. Thank you all again so much for listening. I am very happy to be back talking fantasy football with you all, especially at this crucial fantasy point of the year. And we're going to continue to bring you all the best fantasy football content and information out there all season long. Nate, thank you as well for joining me. I know you are off from potting tomorrow and the awesome Kate Majduk is going to join me. So before you sign off for the week, let the good people know what you have on pff.com and for the rest of the week. Uh, Sure. Today, my uh, depth charts for all 32 teams went out. I continued my perfect 12-team strategy uh, going pick by pick. So seven through nine, uh, I wrote that seven through nine, that goes out tomorrow. Four through six went up today, and then 10 through 12 will be on Friday. Uh, Continuing player profiles, I had uh, Ramondre Stevenson as my one today after that Elliott signing. So we'll continue having player profiles throughout the week. I'm going to talk running back draft strategy. Uh, We talked about it earlier, but now I'll have an article about that going out tomorrow. Also breakout quarterbacks on Friday. Um, And then the preseason continues tomorrow. So I will continue all my preseason recaps that I'll be going out around halftime each of the games um, once the starters are done playing to give you all the fantasy football information you need to know about those. And then we will recap those on Monday. Awesome. Nicely. I'm looking forward to that. Um, As for me, you could find my Dark Horse Wide Receiver 1 candidates up on the site now, as well as Dark Horse Tight End 1 candidates tomorrow, which was really tough. And I should have probably called it Tight End 2 Dark Horse candidates 
just because it's so hard to envision someone surpassing Kelsey. But I think I make some interesting cases for guys that could get within range. Um, I'm also going to be on uh, NFL Total Access tonight around uh, 7.45 p.m. Eastern time. So talking a few of my favorite fantasy options for the season. So excited and nervous, of course, but mostly excited for that. So appreciate it. Anyone who tunes in. Yeah, I hope so. I hope I don't make an ass of myself and say that the uh, 2011 Packers won the Super Bowl or anything like that. (laughs) It's okay. You got your mistakes out of the way on this show it's fine so you'll be good then that's right that's right all right but again thank you all for listening uh kate and i will be here tomorrow previewing week two of the preseason all the important fantasy things that we're looking out for so be sure to check in with us there also don't forget to subscribe to the pff fantasy youtube channel uh, which really helps us a ton and the pff fantasy discord as well we truly appreciate all your support so until tomorrow peace out